this week, one of the things we read earlier in the week, we finished actually reading the Psalms, and and uh, when when Dave put out the request for some help with this, I, I actually requested this week. So I got I got to admit, I'd already picked what I was going to talk about uh, a couple months ago, not just because I read it this week, but I was excited to read it again this week. Um, so I'm sorry, my name is Brian Croyle, uh, and uh, obviously I'm part of worship here. I have a small group and do a few other things here at the church. But uh, this year, believe it or not, for those of you who've been around, uh, this year marks 20 years that Adrian and I have been here at Grace. Um, so uh, it's, it's time flies, which also means I'm not nearly as young as I like to think of myself as being. Um, last fall, uh, my older son Jonathan is part of the swim team at his school. And they had a swim team retreat up in Prescott, and I got to go as, a, as an adult uh, a chaperone on that. And one of the things that we did during that retreat was to um, study together and kind of meditate on Psalm 139. And um, the interesting thing is, so it, it really struck me, that I'll just say that weekend, it really struck me, some of the things that, that God was saying to me through that psalm. Well, I can tell you that no fewer than six, eight, ten times since then, in different environments, different settings, somehow, somewhere, independently, Psalm 139 has come up in front of my eyes. In fact, I, I use Version Bible app. I have some reading plans. Yesterday, it popped up on my phone again. Um, so God is trying to say something to me through Psalm 139. I want to read you uh, some of the parts of that and, uh, and talk with you about some of the things that God has shown to me through that process. It starts off this way, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know everything I'm going to say even before I say it. Later on, it says this, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Now, I think there are two different ways you could hear this. I think some people, I was talking to, to my friend Mita here, who's playing bass this morning. She, she loves this chapter. This is an encouragement to her. But I'll tell you, when I first read these words, I'm not necessarily encouraged. I'm kind of disquieted. Why is that? Well, because, because I know my actions, and I know my words, and I know my thoughts, and I know my heart. They're not perfect. They're not everything that they should be in honoring God in, in every moment of every day. And so when I read these things, that God knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He sees everything I do. He, he knows everything I'm going to say. I can be disquieted. I can be thinking... When's the shoe going to drop? Instead, in verse 5, it says this. You go before me and follow me. You place your, your hand of blessing on my head. He knows all these things about me. He knows my shortcomings. He knows everything that's not right about me. And he places his hand of blessing on my head. You see, as a father, I guess that, that image to me is, is very significant. Um, when my boys were, were small, when they were down here, now I have to do like this to put my hand on their head, right? But when they were little, when I put my hand on their head, it was a spontaneous and a natural expression of tenderness. When God says he puts his hand on my head, it's a reminder that I am his child and that I'm loved. 
That's what that hand of blessing on my head means. And it also says to me, it reminds me of this, if Jesus is the head of the church and we are supposed to be his hands and feet, then maybe we're supposed to be hands of blessing to those around us. See, this, this concept of God putting a hand of blessing on my head, it reminds me of the two greatest commandments, as Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, do you feel God's hand of blessing on your head? Do you? It's there. You're his child. He loves you. His hand is on your head. And today, can you think of someone that maybe God wants you to be his hand of blessing on? Who can you love and show that tenderness and kindness to on this day? Thanks. Several years ago, I was serving as an associate pastor of a church in Chandler, Arizona, when I had the privilege of meeting a guy named Greg, whose brother was our worship pastor at the time. Greg was a pastor himself. He was a church planter. He had a great life. He had a wife with three precious little kids. And life for Greg seemed fairly normal. But all that changed one random March day in 2010 when he was told that his wife was killed in an automobile accident. A relatively calm, beautiful life was suddenly tossed into a violent storm. That day, he and their three kids began a journey of grief that came with all sorts of emotions, from rage and anger to feelings of hopelessness and loneliness. As a pastor, he felt like he was supposed to have all the answers to all these difficult things and be full of faith. But there were times when he will even admit he doubted his faith in God. Does that make sense to you at all? Have you ever been through a storm in your life that just seemed to be raging? It just seemed relentless and you couldn't even see your way out of the storm. You didn't even think that you could get out of the storm. Maybe like Greg, you felt a little bit hopeless. You felt angry with God or confused why he would even allow these things to happen in your life. Right? I mean, we all, every one of us, we get caught at one time or another at storm, in storms in life. We have no idea when there are times that God protects us from storms and we don't even know about them or why he allows us to go through others at different times for whatever reason. But hear this this morning. Please, please hear me. He always loves us through those storms. And he uses them even in our lives. And he, here's, here's the interesting thing. He uses us to love each other through them as well. In this series we've been called Love Express, we've been discovering through scriptures together how God expresses his love to us and through us to other people. And I tell you, one of the most powerful ways that God's love is expressed through us is when everything hits the fan, right? When the storms are just raging and it just feels like your world's closing in and those who are followers of Christ come around without all the right answers but they love us through those times. Love is expressed as we stay with those in the storm, offering our empathy, offering our time, even when there's no easy answers to be found. You know, when I think about 
people who have gone through storms. Storms with no clear answers. I oftentimes think about a guy by the name of Job in the Bible, right? I mean, (laughs) no matter how bad my storms have been in my life, I can always just pick up my Bible and open it up to Job and like, well, my life ain't that bad, right? I could always look at him and like, well, at least it ain't that bad. It could be worse, right? I mean, this poor guy, in almost a split instant, he loses all of his kids in a freak accident. He loses his reputation. He loses almost all of his possessions. And he develops this horrible skin disease to the point that his wife just looks at him one day and he says, dude, just curse God and die. I mean, that's a bad day, right? The book of Job is a significant book. It's, got, it's like 42 chapters in the Old Testament. It's a really old book. It's 4,000 years old. It's one of the oldest books known to exist in the world today. This week, we're going to actually be finishing our poetic readings and the wisdom readings of Scripture by spending time finishing our reading of the book of Job together. We'll actually finish our readings for this whole series or for, this, for, the, for the poetic writings by reading that particular book. And what's interesting is as you read it, the opening lines tell us that Job lived a good life, right? He lived a godly life, and the devil just comes and wreaks havoc in this guy's life. Now, in the last chapter, you know, God, we see God steps in, God restores him, God draws him closer to himself through his storm. But in the 39 chapters in the middle, Job's conversations with his friends and ultimately with God are stories that show, words that show him just, Job just venting his rage and his frustration and his confusion with God and with life in general. When this first happens, Job's friends come along and they support him, right? I mean, they mourn with him. If they see the stuff that he's going through, they do far more. Job's friends do far more than most of us would ever do with someone who's going through a storm. They actually, it says in the scriptures, it says they actually sit down in the dirt with him for seven days and seven nights and don't even say a word. I mean, imagine how many of us would be willing to do that for one day? They sat there in the dirt with him without a word said for a week. And then finally, Job is able to just start getting some words out. And he starts venting out his confusion, his rage, his frustration with God and with everything that's going on around him. I mean, if you've been there, if you've, if you've been in that place where a storm is just relentless, you know what, it, what he's going through, right? You know how he's feeling in that moment. And he just starts venting. And it's at that point that Job's friends change on him. It's at that point that they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Job. Okay. Let, and then they get into fix-it mode with Job. They're like, we need to clarify for you a little bit about wh- how God is. They're not really helpful in this moment. That's not really what Job needed to hear. Job needed to just be able to just vent, right? Sometimes we're just in that place we're not needing someone to fix us theologically. We're just needing to see that there is someone who will ride out the storm with us as we get, this thing, get these things out. And Job's friends are at that point where they're like, huh, Job, what is the deal with you? You are totally missing God in this thing. So Job's friends, even though they start out trying to really help Job, what we find as we start reading through Job is they're really not all that helpful. They go from initially being helpful to really being unhelpful. 
And maybe you've been in that place in your life too. I know I have, where sometimes I, I'm trying to be helpful and I'm really not. So today, as we look at the book of Job in preparation for our readings this week, we're going to look at some of the parts of the story of Job. But what I want to do is actually focus our attention on Galatians chapter 6. That's where we can really get our cues for how to love people through a really nasty storm. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, or if you have your palm, you have your palm pots, I'm, I'm just dating myself a decade, <laughs> your smart tablets, your phones, whatever, all those gadgets, pull it out, go to your web browser to mygrace.church and to, this, to the messages tab there and you can follow along with the scriptures with me. But while you're turning there, let me just say something. Today happens to be my wedding anniversary. We were married 18 years today. My wife will be here. Hopefully, she, she'll be here on time for second service. But if you might be able to see her, she's coming in. You know, Teresa and I have faced our share of storms in this life. And I just want to thank many of you who are in this room right now because many of you have signed up at Grace to pray for the pastoral staff. And you've picked the day of the month and you're praying regularly for us. And I have to tell you, there are times when I can, this may sound hokey, I literally feel your prayers. They are sustaining me. And I am so grateful that you would do that for me and for the rest of my pastoral staff. But let me just ask you something. On those times when you're praying for me, would you not stop until you have transitioned to pray for my wife and to pray for my family because they are what make what you see today. And I need your prayers for them just as much as I do for myself. We're gonna, I'm, we have faced many storms together, Teresa and I, and I'm sure we'll face many more in the future. And I deeply appreciate your prayers and your support. So anyway, Galatians 6 is where we were. Galatians 6. I'm going to start by just reading to you verse 2. says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, this verse assumes two things, right? It assumes we all have burdens, and it assumes that God does not want us to bear them alone. God loves us too much to allow us to do that. You know, some people think that it's a uh, sign of strength to just tough things out and to not bother people with our problems, right? We sometimes think that relying on other people when we're going through storms in life is a sign of weakness or something. For me, let me just tell you, there, there are few things that have been more fulfilling in my life than having the privilege of walking with many of you through the nastiest storms that you have faced in this life and helping look for God in the midst of them. It's a privilege that I don't take lightly, and it means a lot to me. And I guess that's why I'm a pastor. I, I, I love being able to be there for people in those difficult times as well as the good. I have walked through some pretty nasty, traumatic storms with some of you over the last several years. And it has never been an imposition. Never once. But it's funny, when the, when the tables are turned, it's kind of weird. I tend to ride out storms on my own, I have found. Because I tell myself that I don't want to be a drain or a burden on other people. I hold on to verses like Psalm 55, verse 22, and I say to myself, God will sustain me. And I have to be reminded sometimes that God does that through other people, not just me and God. As other people express love through time and empathy and listening to me when there are no easy answers. 
Something's been changing in me. God's been changing that in me over the recent months. Paul speaks in Galatians about this, and he shows us that there are three things that can get in the way of us loving people through storms. And that's where I want to kind of focus this morning in Galatians 6. He says, Paul says, there are three things that can get in the way of us loving people through storms. Number one, feelings of self-importance. Number two, a judgmental spirit. And number three, weariness. So let me look at these real quickly. Self-importance. You just look at the next verse, Galatians 6, verse 3. He says this. He says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I love how blunt (laughs) Paul is in that moment. Don't you? Paul actually sees here that one of the biggest barriers to carrying one another's burdens is an inflated opinion of yourself. This self-importance or pride can creep in when we think that somehow we manage life better than other people do. And it actually mentions in verse 4 that when we compare ourselves to other people, that's when we really get ourselves in trouble. So he encourages the Galatians. He says, don't think of yourselves as better than others, but live out the law of Christ. Live out the law of love, it's called, by bearing each other's burdens, by riding out the storms with people as they face them. In today's world, I can't think of a bigger way that we get tripped up in this idea of self-importance than when it comes to our schedule and how busy we will say that we are, how full our lives are. And that gives us the reason to say that we don't have the time to really invest in riding out the storms with those who are around us in life. One of Job's friends, 4,000 years ago, basically says something very similar. He says, basically, Job, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for all your problems, so you just need to shut up and just listen to me right now. That's what he says in Job 32. I wonder, how quickly are you to just set your life aside when you see that someone's going through a storm? No matter how full your schedule is, no matter how important you feel like your day is, How often will you just throw all that aside when you see that someone's life is in utter turmoil and you love them? Are there any thoughts that maybe keep you sometimes from getting involved? Maybe you find sometimes that you're too busy or your life is stressful enough and you can't deal with someone else's stress. Or maybe even you get a bit critical or judgmental. Of another person, and you're unable to really listen or understand or empathize with them as they're caught in the midst of that storm. That kind of sh- leads us to the second point there that idea of a judgmental spirit in Galatians 6 1. Paul starts the whole chapter by saying, Dear brothers and sisters, if another brother, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful. He says, notice, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see, the context for which Paul is even bringing up this topic is someone who is caught in a sinful lifestyle, a storm of their own making. And he talks to them about helping people navigate out of that while being humble because we could find ourselves in the very same place at some point in our lives as well, right? Job's friends don't get this. Job's friends, they get a little judgy on him, right? And they're like, you should know better. They get arrogant and angry and judgmental toward him. In fact, 
There's this one friend, I won't get into all these scriptures for you, you can, you'll read them this week. There's this one friend of Job's that shows up, his name is Bildad. And he actually, yeah, just as I read this, I'm like, God, I can't imagine him actually saying this. He actually blames Job as he's sitting in the dirt. He, he, he actually blames Job's kids for their own deaths. And he says, you know, your kids died because they screwed up somehow along the way in some big way. And God judged them for it. I mean, can you imagine suffering, losing your kid, and then having someone tell you that? I mean, it'd be all I could do to not just slug the person, right? And then Eliphaz, in Job 22, he, he, he doesn't blame Job's kids. He just blames Job. He just says, I don't know what you did, Job, but you must have really ticked God off. You must have done something really nasty, really wicked to cause all this to happen to you. And he starts thinking up, making up stuff in Job 22 that he must have done to cause all this. He doesn't know that Job's done anything wrong, but he's like, well, surely you must have done this or this. And he just starts coming up with stuff out of thin air. And then, and then Elihu, his friend Elihu starts it, and he just vomits all over Job. If you look at Job 32, I mean, listen to what he said. This is Elihu's wind-up to really getting into Job. He says, Job, you sit there baffled with nothing more to say. Should I continue to wait now that you are silent? Must I also remain silent? No, I will say my peace. I will speak my mind. For I am full of pent-up words. You just know this is going to get bad, right? <laughs> For I am full of pent-up words, and the Spirit within me urges me on. I'm like a cask of wine without a vent, like a wineskin ready to burst. I must speak to find relief, so let me give my answers. And then he just goes off. For No kidding. Six chapters, non-stop, on Job. One of the reasons why the book of Job is so long is because he unwinds on Job from Job 36 all the way for another six chapters. Man, it can be easy at times to get frustrated or upset or a bit judgy with someone when you see them caught in a storm, even if perhaps in some small way they do have something to do with it. And Paul reminds us in those moments they don't need judgy. In those moments, they need love. In those moments, they need to know someone is there to allow them to just get it out so that they can see their way through the storm. And then the last thing that um, Paul shares uh, in Galatians 6 that I think is so helpful um, in the midst of a storm, which Job's friends didn't get, is we have to learn how to love people through the weariness, through the fatigue, if there's one thing that I think probably gets us the quickest around this idea of falling short of loving people, it's through the fatigue. It's walking with someone through a storm when the storm doesn't last for a day or two or a week or two. Sometimes, you know this, storms can last a year or two or more. And everyone else has gone on, but that person is still caught in the midst of the storm. And so Paul speaks to that in verse 9. Look, he says... So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At, the right, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. This means sticking with someone even months later while they're still in the storm. You know, as I have been a pastor over the years, I have seen this play out so many times. 
I've seen someone, for example, lose a loved one. And in that moment, everyone's there. Everyone's loving them. Everyone's bringing over the meals. They're at the memorial service. And their refrigerator's full. And then weeks go by. Months go by. And the meals have stopped. The crowds have stopped. And guess what? The storm is still raging. And it's in those moments that we need our friends to walk with us, to continue to not to walk with us, to not be weary in well-doing. Love sees that. In fact, the scripture has a word for it. It's called long-suffering. It means to suffer long with someone. There are some versions of the Bible that says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Did you know that? It actually, in some translations of, of the Bible, in Galatians 5, it uses instead of the word patience, it puts the word long-suffering there. In fact, if you notice in the passage we're reading this morning, at the beginning of Galatians 6, the, the fruit of the Spirit was a lead-in to talking about to bearing each other's burdens. Long-suffering, loving, being kind, these gentlemen, all these things are the lead-in to Paul sharing what he's sharing right here about bearing each other's burdens. You know, that first week, Job's friends were great, right? But after a while, it got hard for them to ride out the storm with Job, to show love and to show compassion through it. And by chapter 6, Job himself is just saying, you know what, you guys really stink at this. You're not reliable at all. They're not providing any comfort to him. They're not providing any encouragement. They're not coming to his defense. They're not interceding for him. They just complain about his attitude. I mean, look at verse 5 of chapter 16. Job even tells him, he says, if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. And then, surprisingly, at the end of this sharing here in Job 16, he says something which I want to point out to you. He says, My friends scorn me, but I pour out my tears to God. I need someone to mediate between God and me as a person mediates between friends. For soon I must go down that road for which I will never return. You know what? We can comfort someone we can suffer long with them. We can intercede. We can pray for them. We can be there. But one thing we can't do is mediate for them. First Timothy chapter 2 makes that very clear. There's only one mediator between God and other people, and that's Jesus. Let me tell you something this morning. When you're caught in the midst of a storm, there will be those who will pray with you, that will support you, that will encourage you. But there's only one who can mediate with you. And he never gets weary. He never gets tired. He is there 24 hours a day. And he is interceding between you and God. And that is Christ. We must never forget that. When the storm is raging and we're wondering where God is, we know that God is getting an earful from Jesus. Mediating for us. One day, uh, not too long ago, I was facing a storm of my own. And I was having a really difficult time figuring out how to navigate through it. And I remember just being that morning in my, my little prayer closet and just praying and praying, and I just wasn't even feeling a sense of relief. I just felt this sense of depression that was so heavy. And I finally just kind of threw my stuff in my backpack. I'm like, God, I, I, you're just going to have to figure this out for me later. I, I, I got to go to work. And I show up at my office, 
and I open up my email, still feeling confused and kind of lost. And God had in his grace an email that popped up in my inbox with an article. And I have read this article so many times, you just would not believe. It has been my lifeline ever since. Um, I, I won't read the whole thing to you. I'm not one who tends to read anything really to you guys. But this was so powerful in my life. I felt like there were parts of it you just had to hear. It's, the article was called, When the Storms of Life Don't Stop. And this is a piece of what the author said. He said, if we don't see storm clouds now, it's just, just a matter of time. He said, your storm may come in the form of a chronic illness. You may be walking through divorce. You may, maybe you're fighting a losing battle to addiction or you have problems with your kids. Or maybe there's just a dark cloud of mental anguish, anxiety or depression that colors everything in your life. Whatever your storm, you feel like you're long past hope. You're ready to give up. If that's you, he says, I can guess what you'd like me to tell you. It's the same thing I want to hear when I'm suffering. Don't worry. God's going to bring an end to all of your problems. But he says, the tough truth is that at least in the short run, suffering may last a little longer. God's victory promises that suffering won't last forever, but it might last longer than we'd like. In fact, he says it may last an entire lifetime. You may think you want a theology that promises that if you're a good person, that God will remove all the problems of your life. But here's the rub, he says. You'll never come to know Jesus that way. He didn't come to give good people a little pep talk so they could overcome their problems. He didn't come to be a life coach promising good advice. He came as a doctor to the sick and the dying. He came as a comforter to the crushed and the broken. And he says, if you're suffering... Pressing into, pressing into Jesus might not mean your suffering goes away. It might just mean that you get more of Jesus in the midst of your suffering. I love this. He says, I, don't, I know you don't want to hear that. I kind of circled that part. He says, you're reading this thinking, I don't receive that. I stand against that in the name of Jesus. And I know I could make it, people feel better if I promised that all their problems would go away if they just had enough faith, that is, but you see, he says, it's through these problems that God makes you stronger. Isaiah says that God would turn, wants to turn us into oaks of righteousness. And he says, I recently read that oaks in storm-rich areas are the strongest because winds force their roots to go deeper. You don't get stronger, he says, sitting on a beach. You get stronger going through the storm. And then he says, your problems are real, and they have the potential to take you out. Cancer is real, and it can take you out. Divorce can take you out. A spouse abandoning you can take you out. Addiction can. Abuse can. Losing a child can. And he says, I want you to know that Jesus is real too. And he's bigger than your problem, whatever it is. No matter how close we come to God in this life, we can never escape storms. There was a guy who was one of the fathers of the Christian church. His name was St. Augustine. He lived uh, several decades after Jesus. And he once said this. He says, our pilgrimage on earth cannot be exempt from trial. We progress by means of trial. We, no one knows himself except through trial or receives a crown except after victory. 
Jesus is bigger than your problems and your storms. And sometimes when the storm is really raging, you need someone to remind you of that. Someone who isn't judgmental. Someone who isn't too busy to take the time to get in the dirt with you. Someone who will pray and encourage you and say, Jesus is bigger than this. Hang on. I am here with you and I'm not going anywhere. Love is expressed when we do that. When we get out in the dirt with someone and we just allow the feelings of pain and suffering to wash over us with them. That is an expression of love. When we offer someone our shoulder or a place to vent or just distract them from the storm long enough to help them to smile, have fun, and enjoy their lives for a little while, you, when, we, when you do those things, you are offering far more than you can possibly realize. I'll close with this. Um, Pastor Greg, I was telling you about him earlier. He was at home on the night of March 6, 2010, when he had a knock on the door. It was a police officer, a child care worker, and a police chaplain who was at his door. When those three people show up at your door, you know there's a problem. They asked if they could come in, and they told him the news. Just before they knocked on the door, he had sent a text to his wife with the words, Where are you? when he found out that his wife was actually in heaven. She had been a nurse at Phoenix Children's Hospital on her way home when the accident happened. One of the ways that Pastor Greg stayed afloat in the midst of that storm was to write. And over the first year, he kept a blog that is actually still online, if you're interested in looking at it, where he just kind of sounded like Job for the first few days of his pain as he vented without holding back. So others could help him process through his pain. And on day five, I'll never forget some of the words he wrote. I actually want to share these with you this morning to show you what he was going through. He said, he actually wrote in his blog to Jesus, he said, or to God, he wrote, Father, I know all the right answers, but I guess I need to really know them. This pain that is beginning to set in is real. It's intense. It's not fair. It's not right. I can't see the goodness. I know you're near to me, but I don't want that. I want Leanne to spend my life with. I want us to grow old and see our grandchildren and die a month apart and then do heaven together. Here's the next slide. What happened to us growing old and growing up and growing old together? What would have been so wrong about that? What's so terrible about watching my wife love our children? What's so wrong about watching our children really grow up strong because they had a mother who loved them? I was okay, God, up until the moment I realized Leanne was never coming back. And unless you take me soon, I'll wait a long time to see her. And if you did take me soon, how cruel would that be to three children who need a mom and a dad? You've taken mom already, so when's my turn? I don't get it. And I'm not a fan right now of saying it's all in your plan. I know it is, but whatever the plan is, it didn't include Leanne living past 35. That's brutally cold, especially when you give her three children and then take her life. How easy it would have been for you to change one minute of that plan. I didn't know I had to pray for that. I can't see your goodness. In fact, all I see is you taking Leanne from my family. You have allowed my wife to die, and you've allowed my kids to live without a mother. And you've allowed me to not have a wife. And you've allowed Leanne to not be a mother any longer to her children. How incredibly wrong is that? I'm not content, God. 
And I know you don't need me to be content, but I'm not okay with this. That was day five of his storm. Greg and his three kids' storms lasted for a really long time. And sometimes people couldn't understand the things that Greg felt or that that he said. They wondered if he had lost it. But there were many other people who jumped on the boat with him and rode out that nasty storm with him. The, the blog that he wrote over that first year is powerful. And in fact, I put a link into it, to it in your online sermon notes. If you want to just go back and look at it, you can see how over the prices of a year, he progressed with God and worked through that pain over that first year as the body of Christ came alongside him and helped him see God in the midst of that crazy storm. Today, Greg is remarried, and he actually teaches theology at Valley Christian High School in Phoenix, as well as at Grand Canyon University. And a few months ago, he was actually asked to do a TED Talk. It's actually also a a copy of that video is in your online sermon notes if you want to watch it. But I'm going to close by sharing with you the end of his TED Talk. This is what he said. He said, tragedy is universal. We're all in this together. Perhaps we would be better served if we opened up more spaces free of judgment for people to come to share their aches and anguishes, their agonies, regardless of our religious dispositions. I've learned that there's incredible power in understanding and empathizing with people who are in pain. So may we rejoice and weep together, and may we do it well. Church, I pray that that will be true of us as well, that we will learn to love each other well through our storms. We don't need all the answers. We don't need to break it down. We just need to love each other. And our neighbors, the people in our community who are going through these storms, we need to love them through those times as well. And they will see Jesus in those moments when we love each other well. There are times when life throws us curveballs and they don't make any sense. I know that. You know that. Our job isn't to somehow dissect it and figure it all out. Our job is to love. And I pray you'll do that well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity today to wrestle with this with our community here. Lord, many of us are going through storms, and some of these storms are getting pretty intense right now. Lord, I pray that we would be able to love each other well through them. Lord, as we come to the communion table, many of us this morning, and receive the body, and bread, of the body and blood of Christ with the bread and the cup. Lord, you remind us that you were not um, a stranger to suffering either. You went through a tremendous storm, and you did it on purpose, out of love for us, so that you could be that mediator and that you could walk through whatever storm we face and guide us through it. Guide us, Lord, in these moments of difficulty and storm. Help us to see the way out. And Lord, we will cling to you even in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.